1: There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. Hugs Podcast, episode 196. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca. Here, Brian. 196. Good. 196. Brian, you all, know what that all, means? All Brian does is get excited every time the numbers get higher, which happens we'll be, every podcast. So, like, you should be kind of used to it already. The numbers are just only going to go up.
0: We'll be at 200 by the holidays, which excites me very, very much. Just, anybody
1: watching this podcast can see that.
0: As we're looking to take this podcast into the next phase of what Dexter and I uh, envision it should be, where it should be, where it could become, uh, we're trying to organize some stuff around that. Uh, that also comes with like you know our sort of own elevation, where you know you're—I don't want to spoil you saying it, but like you're bringing back a uh, backpack broadcasting favorite, and then I. I just wanted to say this off the top of the show. If you saw it on Twitter, I'm going to be doing some stuff with FanDuel, and uh, moving forward as a host digitally uh, for some things and things like that. Probably be talking NBA combat sports, uh, but that's not sort of the the final destination though, because you know, nothing I'm doing right now is full time, which you know has its positives, positives and negatives. So I'm hoping in due time that uh, I won't be the only one uh, there who is new that I know. From my stable of people so uh but you know in due time uh, we should be able to 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 build something out there nice but as of now i'm excited about that and uh from what i understand dexter has
1: some news as well yeah i've got some news i don't think it's major brian talks about me bringing <laughs> back a favorite uh for the backpack broadcasting uh family and people like. it has been a couple years i worked on award-winning web series the sports walk it is back um and so I really encourage you guys to check it out. The first episode that is out will feature our producer of the A Heart Cell podcast, Gregory Alcala. I agree. I encourage everybody to check it out because Greg talks about his Knicks fandom. I haven't up. I'm going to watch exp- it tonight. His experience as a Knicks fan, which I think is very interesting because, you know, I posted a clip of Greg uh, before we recorded this podcast of him talking about it. He talks about how his Knicks fandom, but to quote Greg, Greg said it was trash. And I think why I encourage people to watch this one, especially if you're someone like me who's a bit, a little bit older as a Knicks fan, because I don't think we think about enough about people who are, you know, were born in the, late, the mid to late 90s. You know, they didn't really get to see a lot of good Knicks basketball. And so you hear this from Greg and his experience and, you know, what it was like watching Knicks last year. And so I encourage everybody to watch that. Uh, we have some other good episodes that'll be coming out too. Um, so I encourage that. Season four. Unbelievably, season four—we're uh, doing this. It, start, it kicks off this week, and you know I hope people enjoy it and uh, get to see Greg's episode and get to kind of—you know—you've seen Greg here on the podcast. You also seen him on the NBA Exchange with me, so um, he was perfect to do this. And uh, yeah, man, it's good. I hope hopefully people check that out. We we appreciate that the Sports Walk is a really fun show. I love producing it. Um, and actually, Greg, to give Greg credit, Greg is also. We'll be shooting some of these episodes and help me produce it too he helped me work on the second episode which i think is a fun one too and it has some uh some nba ties with an event we ended up at so i think people will like that as, as well too so sports walk go support brian on fan that's some new stuff that we have going out we got a really good podcast today uh we're going to talk about some combat sports which will make brian excited in a second we also have a freelance writer to talk about some things in hip-hop around album length, something that Brian and I have discussed. We have that coming up. First, we got to talk about the fight over the weekend, heavyweight fight. It was Wilder, Fury 3, and Man. Look, I don't say this too many times. Brian gets excited about this kind of stuff more than I do. This was good. This, this, This was good, and this was entertaining. And it was really, really damn good. I mean, we have talked, and Brian and I have spoken about this. I bring back Brian, Greg, so we, we can see Brian on this. Brian and I have talked about this a lot in terms of maybe this was maybe three, four years ago, maybe when we started the podcast. We talked about the heavyweight division being down, and we needed to see some stuff in the heavyweight division and some more excitement. And look, there's been excitement. And I remember Brian and I doing a podcast four years ago where we talked about we wanted to see Wilder and Joshua fight. And that hasn't happened. And let's just say <laughs> this, the heavyweight division is not gone the way that we thought it was going to go. And in fact, I was the one who said on the record, I thought Joshua would uh, win that match. And Joshua has not looked good. A lot in of couple, I still couple, don't, by the way. Well, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that yes. a little bit. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. But Wilder Fury was good. Uh, if you haven't been under a rock or you did not see, uh, Tyson Fury won this fight. And look, I was rooting for Wilder because you're not know, root for everybody black. I had to do that. I was rooting for Wilder. <laughs> but considering what we saw in the first match, considering what we saw in the second match, Wilder looked exhausted and Fury, you know, gave him the business. I, Brian, I, I want to go into this because you talked about this on the last episode. And you talked about how you liked Fury to win if you were betting this is where you would go. And I agreed with you on all of that. And we also agreed that if Wilder was going to win this, it had to happen via a knockout. It he had to bring it. the power. Right? <laughs> it had to bring, he had to bring the power. And this is what we knew. But we also, I think, agreed that if this was going to go a lengthy amount of rounds, yeah. that Wilder was going to have to fight a bit better technically. We, we, we agreed that. As I think the boxing lovers that we are, we agreed that this had to happen. And I want to start with this. Wilder comes out the gate, and he's looking pretty good, technically. He's mixing up the jab. He's got blows to the body. He's keeping his distance before he comes in with the power. I'm like, okay, all right, we got something here. However. However, <laughs> to quote the great Mike Tyson. Yes, this is exactly everybody, where I was going to go. <laughs> everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> And I mean, that quote is just great for life. It's just absolutely great for life in general, but everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face.
0: That's exactly where I was gonna go there.
1: This is exactly <laughs> what I was gonna. Go. Brave minds <laughs> think alike. Well, that's exactly where Tyson Fury went, and he hit Deontay Wilder, <laughs> and you could just see that was like, a, oh, all right, and the plan changed. The plan changed for Wilder. The, if you want, the, the plan changed. Please explain for the people, Brian, how the plan changed for Wilder because he was not the same fighter, in my opinion, that we saw in the first two rounds for the rest of this fight after he got stunned and punched in the face and somewhere Mike Tyson was smiling like, told y'all, told y'all.
0: This, this is some of your best analysis ever, first of all.
1: Um, really? Okay.
0: This is brilliant. I was thinking the same exact and you, yeah, this is perfect. Like, is perfect. Deontay Wilder I thought won those first two rounds. Some people debate uh, No, I agree. I thought he did some too. Some people debate uh, round two I think in particular but I thought he won both those rounds. It's a moot point at this point. What I saw and Greg, keep the camera on both of us so I could see uh, the Dexter sort of reaction and I know he's going to jump in here at some point. I, know, I think Deontay Wilder won the first two rounds and we saw him coming out jabs to the body, straights to the body even and trying to establish something what I was, and I was live tweeted like crazy if you were following me. I was like, look, it's nice that Deontay Wilder's doing this because I've been wanting him to do this because he's too much of a headhunter. However, he's telegraphing it a little too much. Tyson Fury is way too smart. He's going to download that information, as we like to say in boxing, and he's going to start picking him off and countering him with left hooks inside as soon as Deontay Wilder lunges in, check left hook, boom, boom, boom. And you started to see that happen, you know, as the fight progressed because Deontay Wilder was telegraphing it. Once he got rocked for good, like you know, for real, rather in the third round, for the first time in the fight, the, the body work that that shit was done. Like that Gone. shit was mostly abandoned Gone. from there. Because, as Dexter said, <laughs> everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth, and with Deontay Wilder got punched in the mouth, he just went back to what he knew. He's like, all right, fine. You know, we'll see. We'll 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 see what happens here. You know, there moving forward and. It's so funny. I'm going on Boxrec right now just just to get the actual scores at the time that the fight was done. Uh, Deontay Wilder did get knocked out in the 11th round. However, he did not go away quietly at all. No. Uh, you look it up, and the sentence on Boxrec here is this. Wilder down in rounds 3, 10, and 11. Fury down twice in round 4. That sounds like a classic to me. And when you watch it, I two of the three fights were a classic, and that's the thing. Boxing trilogies don't happen very often because they just wear on people. There are not a lot of fights that people want to see rematches of, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, you could argue and convincingly that Tyson Fury won all three times, but goddamn, Deontay Wilder came very close twice. The first the first fight, he nearly knocked him out in the 12th round in dramatic fashion, and it was a fight of the year candidate, maybe the fight of the year that year. It's definitely the most memorable fight from that year. And then this year, like this is probably the most memorable fight of this year. Oh, yeah, uh, that we're going to be talking about to this point. Like you can't you can't convincingly point me in another direction in terms of like what's a more memorable fight than this that we've seen this year. Uh, we'll see what Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter do next month, because that is the next fight that I'm really excited about. Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant, not as much because I think Canelo's going to wash them, but it'll be great to see Canelo again. That said, scorecards. 94-92, 95-91, 95-92, all in favor of Tyson Fury at the time. A knockout. Sounds about right to me. Sounds a little bit closer than I would have thought off the top of my head.
1: It's a little but, closer for me than I would have thought off the top of my but
0: head. But Deontay Wilder did win rounds one and two, in my opinion, and did win round four, which is where he knocked him down. Now, here's the thing. Twice. Deontay Wilder got knocked down in round three. Got up, and, and, it, and it, it didn't look great. Like, round three, at the very beginning, you could watch and you can see his legs
2: Mm-hmm.
0: not not really as steady. It's like all the movement, because Deontay Wilder was different in rounds one and two. He was moving around a lot, fighting in a way that, we, that um, you know, we're not accustomed to seeing. And it's important to note that his new trainer, Malik Scott, is somebody that Deontay Wilder actually uh, fought and beat, knocked him out in the first round uh, seven years ago. Malik Scott was one of these heavyweights who he retired at 38-3-1 with 13 knockouts only. So he's a heavyweight who's a counterpuncher. Who's heavyweight? Who moves around a lot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So evidently, he was trying to tell Deontay Wilder, like, "Yo, this is what you have to do," and it was working in the beginning until it wasn't. And then Deontay until Wilder back to being Deontay <laughs> Wilder. Then he drops Tyson Fury in round four twice, twice, and well, then it- I. Like I stood up. I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Like it, it was literally it was literally decks like a fight night fight. Like in a video game where like Deontay Wilder is fighting like how I am in Fight Night when I'm fighting somebody better and I'm like, yo, I just I, I, I just have to like I just have to get him because if this goes to distance, I'm not gonna have the stamina, et cetera, et cetera. And he gets dropped early, and then I drop him in round four, and then it goes, and then I'm getting picked apart and I'm getting pissed and I'm flailing my arms and losing my stamina. And then eventually get dropped around eleven. But now, what? God what damn, I what, a fight.
1: what I wanted to say there, what's impressive is that I think people that Brian captioned that Brian's one hundred percent right about it. In round three. You watch his legs; it's not looking good. He's not moving the same. The fact that in round four he came back and caught him to the side of the face wasn't super clean. Twice that got Tyson down, and the second one Tyson looked a little bit stunned. Like, he was like, oh, okay. Like, and you can almost see in Fury, he kind of realized, like, oh, yo, he he knows, he knew that Wilder had to go for it in that way. And this is where Brian talks about the downloading information to turn me here in boxing. And he had to adjust. And you saw some adjustments from Fury in the next couple of rounds. Fury was relentlessly attacking. Um, He's getting him, he's catching him. But what was, this is what was impressive to me the whole time, I think I texted Brian this. I couldn't believe Wilder was standing. I could not believe it at all whatsoever. I mean, we talk about heart and boxing. We talk about a chin. His face was messed up, bleeding eventually from the mouth, and he took some hits. But the fact that Wilder was even standing, and then even in some of the later rounds, particularly in rounds eight and nine, where you still saw Wilder taking some shots, and then he would come back. He with some, good
0: Tyson Fury. And yeah.
1: Rock and Tyson Fury a couple of times, including one, he caught him with an uppercut. I think it was at the end of the eighth. He caught him with an uppercut. And I was like, how is he still finding it? So th- what I take from it, obviously he eventually gets knocked out in the 11th round. We saw that. It was not a good-looking knockout. Head hits the ropes down to the ground. Yeah. Wilder, Wilder, Wilder was done. There were times where Wilder looked like he was sleeping when the fighters would come together. He's resting on Fury. He looked like he wanted to go to sleep. But the man didn't sleep. You got to give that man a ton of credit for hanging in there fighting, he knew what, he knew what, the only way that he could win. And it was the way Brian and I talked about this before, that he had to get a knockout. And Wilder was trying for that. He just, to be honest, had nothing left by the end. There was nothing left. And, you know, he ended up getting knocked out. So I do think this fight is the embodiment, the embodiment of that Mike Tyson quote. But what I wanted to ask you, B, Mm -hmm. as we wrap this, you know, the end of the fight, and I know you saw it. Tyson Fury comes over to Wilder to congratulate him, and Wilder doesn't want to congratulate him. He pretty much waves him off, tells him to get up out of here. Do you have a problem with that? I, you know, it's
0: tough because, like, this is this. So this is a little bit different. Like, I would like to think in that situation that I'd be receptive to the guy now as an adult, but like, I mean, in a competitive sport in boxing like i know how i would have handled that at like 16 years old 18 years old
1: oh i thought you were going to say 16 days ago
0: you know like i no i know how i would have handled that <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a teenager playing competitive sports not even at a very high level you know playing like basketball or whatever or, like if somebody tried to shake my hand after beating me in a race you know what i mean like i don't i like i probably wouldn't have been you know very warm uh in return so it's 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 difficult because like it's boxing is you know Deontay Wilder is one of the most prideful heavyweights probably that we've ever seen, as um, somebody who has knocked out every single person he stepped in the ring with except Tyson Fury, uh, Bermaine Stavern. He beat him by decision, but then he ended up knocking him out in the rematch, mm-hmm. really knocking him out in the rematch. Um, like this is somebody who like look at his character, look at where he's came from, and look at all the things he's had to endure to get to this point. And you talk about that warrior spirit, that warrior attitude. Like, it's very difficult to sort of like take in all that, and then you know, just shake the hand of a guy who y'all have been cussing each other out. Y'all legitimately don't like each other, et cetera, et cetera. Now, usually, what happens in boxing, or more often now, what happens in boxing and combat sports in general, is like after you compete against somebody, sure, like afterwards, you know, you guys or women have been to this war together. Y'all are the only two who know what this is like out of the people in this arena, most of the people in the arena. So, you guys would have some respect after that. Oftentimes, you'll see that, but I'm not, I'm actually surprised it doesn't happen more often that guys don't want to shake hands or whatever the case may be. So, I understand it from a heat of the moment thing. I do hope that, you know, Deontay Wilder, like, sort of makes amends behind the scenes, but he doesn't need to. You know, he's a fighter at the end of the day. And even if he doesn't fight Tyson Fury ever again, which, you know, I don't think he should necessarily um he can be the heavyweight champion again because there's like four or five heavyweight championships and uh i still think he can beat every other heavyweight in the world even now he's 35 years old and he was a late starter but i'm not watching anthony joshua lose to Oleksandr usik who beat him for the other heavyweight championships And then watching Deontay Wilder lose to Tyson Fury, and I'm not coming away saying Deontay Wilder's going to lose to Anthony Joshua. I'm saying that Deontay Wilder still knocks him out, like I've been saying for years. I think that Deontay Wilder will be Andy Ruiz. I think he'll be, well, Alexander Povetkin's retired, but I think that he'll be, you know, Carlos Takam. Uh, who, who did Oleksandr Usyk just beat? Was it Derek Chisora? Like Deontay Wilder would beat a lot of these dudes. So I'm not even worried about that necessarily. And in terms of being down on the cards, I just wanted to go through his, his, his career trajectory sort of one more time. Both times where he stopped Luis Ortiz, uh, he was down on the cards. He was down the cards,
1: especially that that second time. Second one,
0: what a what a shot he delivered there and to but, win that. But play. it's like it. It really doesn't matter if you have. It's like fighting Isaac Frost in Fight Night, legitimately. Isaac Frost, who's from Fight Night Champion, uh, that came out ten years ago, and he's like Deontay Wilder's size. And I think the character is actually based on Randy Orton, which is fucking fascinating. But Isaac Frost is like the six foot seven white dude who's like. Built like Deontay Wilder, essentially, and he's the boss. The final boss battle in Fight Night Champion, if you're in the story mode, and it, basically it's like you can win or you could win your little rounds against him, but he's gonna come get you at some point, right? Like that's the whole thing. That's what fighting Deontay Wilder is like. Like you can win rounds because the entire time he is looking for that opening where he can land one of the best right hands we've ever seen in the sport of boxing. And against everybody else prior <laughs> to now, he's, he's landed. Done. He's landed it. You know what I mean? Even against Tyson Fury, he did. Tyson Fury just got up when it didn't look like he was going to. Dominic Brazil, I think no, that was a one round knockout. Never mind. Um, Gerald Washington. Gerald Washington, I think was was outboxing him a little bit, but it didn't matter. Deontay Wilder knocked him out in the fifth round. Uh, like there are uh, other fights throughout his career. Not a ton, but there are other examples throughout his career you could find where like he was down on the cards that it didn't quite matter because he's just gonna knock guys out. And for a while he was just knocking people out in the first round anyway, so it really didn't matter. I think Deontay Wilder is still that dude and I think he needs to be respected for where he's gone in his career. He turned oh. pro. He turned pro after winning a bronze medal after being a late starter. He was boxing for like three or four years or something like that. And then he was knocking people out you know, within the first four rounds for many, many years until the Bermain Stavern fight where he won the heavyweight title in 2015. And I think that went to decision because I think he like hurt his hand or broke his hand or something like that. Because in the rematch, it didn't matter. He knocked him out three times in the first round. And what bums me out, and this is the last thing I'll say on this text, what bums me out is that, and I knew this at the time because I actually wrote about this even at the time, is like 2015, 16. I knew, I knew he was going to be underappreciated until it was too late in his career. Not that it's too late now, because he still has some years left if he wants it. But people talk about what happened to the heavyweight division, you know, like, you know, where's the next great American heavyweight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And the great American heavyweights were right here. Like, Deontay Wilder was right here when the Klitschko brothers were taking over. Like, he's somebody who came up and won WBC heavyweight title. But in boxing today, we're just so... Like we just want to pick guys apart for not being perfect. And I think that really hurts the sport among many other things It's like people Mm. just want to pick guys apart for not being perfect. We had this guy right here who knocked out everybody he's ever fought until Tyson Fury, who had the punching power of a heavyweight, who was always exciting, who gave really good interviews, who was personable. Anytime I've interviewed Deontay Wilder, I've really enjoyed it or been in a press room with him. I've really enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like, he seems like a good guy in real life, a friendly guy in real life. And he's a boxer, so he's naturally complicated. But like, this is somebody who's right here from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, came up the hard way, has a daughter with uh, spina bifida, I think it's called. or I may be boxing that, but has like a, a condition that he's taking care of her and became the heavyweight champion of the world. And I don't feel like he was truly embraced the way he should have. And I think that maybe now he'll start to get us just due, but now he lost, so I don't know if he in fact
1: will. I think I think you're right about that, and I think to put a bow on this, there's two ways. He, you know, there's many ways to look at this. Tyson Fury is a fantastic fighter, and he's just been the better fighter. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, as you said, Wilders had something for everybody except for Fury. That will be part of his story. That will be part of his legacy, but it should be not what defines him as a boxer at all whatsoever he's done a lot of great stuff i think brian makes great points about him being underappreciated as american heavyweight champion um, but i think when it comes to you know just american exceptionalism a lot of fans expect that uh, when it comes to that we should dominate the world and if you don't do that then you are not successful i think there are great points brian made on that but there's one lesson learned from this fight everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face or the mouth Things to take with you in life. You can learn a lot from the sport of boxing. I'm sure Brian will agree with that. Yeah.
2: Colin Women's boxing. Puerto Rico.
1: As everyone knows, on this podcast, we talk a lot of sports and hip-hop, and recently I came across a really good article that had me thinking about something that Brian and I have discussed a ton about in hip-hop, which is the length of albums, and we thought it was really good. This was written by Adam Aziz, freelance writer. He joins us now. We're going to talk about that article and a lot more in hip-hop. Adam, what's What's up, man? How you doing? Good, guys. What's going on? Hey, much, man. Uh, glad you are up good and well, up in the and six cool. in Toronto. Yes, glad, gl- glad you are, are, are doing well. Um, so we won't, whenever we have journalists on here, we get a sports journalist, you know, as you yourself, you write a bit about music and a bunch of other things. We like to ask people just how they got into the journalism game. Tell us about your background, how people can know about, you know, what you do and just how'd you get into this uh, writing game? Oh, man, I'm an old head, man. Uh, buckle buckle <laughs> up. I'll try to go fast. But
2: uh, no, I, uh, back in 1996, uh, believe it or not, I started one of the first like kind of online hip hop publications. It was an email newsletter um, and then uh, published that for about 10 years and then uh, went to work with uh, Tip, uh, TI for a while um you know got to write with a bunch of different folks um and then obviously found my way into the freelance writing with uh undefeated okay player vibe complex uh a bunch of others um obviously inspired by a lot of the you know great uh you know great hip-hop writers from back in the day and uh yeah man so that's uh that's like 20 plus years condensed into to like 20 seconds but uh you know definitely got to work with the cool Folks over the years, um, you know, worked with uh, SpitKicker for a while, so that was when uh, you know Chappelle and, and Kanye and DeLa yeah. were all part of SpitKicker, and uh, so yeah, man, yeah, lots of lot, lots of cool stuff over the years, and uh, yeah, doing a lot of writing lately for um, you know a bunch of publications
1: on the sports and music side. So. Well, let me tell you this, man: as somebody who is nearing uh, forty years old uh, in a couple years. When you start to do more in your career, it does take long to tell that story, but it's not a bad thing, man. It means <laughs> yeah. you've done some things. <laughs> it means you've done some things. So so it's not bad. So as I was telling telling the listeners, um, you know, I came across your article, which was called The Coming Battle Over Rap Album Lens that you wrote for the undefeated. And, you know, luckily enough, I followed you, you know, I reached out to you and you agreed to come on here and and talk to us. So I found that this was a very interesting article. Because we talked about the history of music we're streaming, may track lists longer. Will this trend be reversed by TikTok? There was a lot to go in. But I guess the first question I have for you on this, Adam, is what gave you the inspiration uh, to, to write this? Because it's something I've talked about, Brian spoke about for a while, which yeah. is that we tend to believe the classic albums, the great albums in hip hop generally are tighter albums. So what inspired yeah. you to write this story?
2: I mean, I think that's what it was. Right. I mean, I think it it came from the standpoint of quality, um, you know, versus, you know, hard and fast to the amount of tracks, you know, on an album. And and I think what I think back to is like, what's the last classic, you know, hip hop album that came out? And for me, you know, that's 444. Right. And, uh, you know, this is Hove in 2017, which is kind of incredible unto itself. But you're, you're talking about 10 tracks you know, a tight 36 minutes. And then you look at that, um, you know, in contrast to like, you know, uh, you know, the last Migos album that dropped or almost any, you know, project that comes out today outside of a select few and, and you're talking about, you know, you know, 15, 17, you know, 20 plus tracks. I mean, a good example is you know, Donda and, you know, CLB. And I wrote about that, you know, in the article, which was, you know, there were great albums there, I think, but, you know, they needed to be kind of condensed down into the best of the, you know, the best of the best. And then if you look back at, you know, classic hip hop albums, you know, Blueprint, Illmatic, you know, you know, bunch of, you know, almost, you know, every J album with the exception of maybe, you know, Blueprint 2, um you know they're, they're they're tighter affairs right and and the quality you know you know speaks for it so i mean i think that that's what it was it was it was around you know uh you know remembering that you know quality was the, the kind of first and foremost consideration in the in the production of albums back in the day versus you know trying to serve a streaming strategy
1: yeah
0: no de- definitely. yeah i would say my ideal sweet spot Adam, just to give you some context before what I'm yeah. about to say, my ideal sweet spot for an album is similar to Dexter's. It'll be like 10, 12 records, yep. maybe 14 uh, tops, and probably between 30 to 40 at the absolute most, like 45 minutes of music. Yep. Like when you mentioned what was the last great or, or last classic hip hop album one album that came to mind for me personally was bandana that came out 2 years ago Freddie yeah. Gibbs and Madlib and that was 15 tracks but like one of them is an intro skit um <laughs> so it doesn't really count and then it's 45 minutes like right on the nose and yeah. i'm actually surprised that we're seeing a trend of very little in between where you Go have ahead. the Vince Staples example that you used. Yeah. Even FM before that was also another That's album it. that was like 20 something minutes or whatever the case may be. And then you have other extreme examples. Like I'm forgetting who it was, Dex, but somebody dropped an album recently, like a bigger name. And then I looked up the track list and it was like
1: 20 something songs. And I was like, oh, no, no way. No way! I'm not doing. Yeah, I was trying to think. I probably had some of those reactions where I might have been. And does that happen for you? Does that happen for you, Adam? In in what Brian just said, where you might and you listen to music, hip hop a lot, like we do, and you yeah. review and you talk about it. But does that happen to you too? Where you might look at an artist and you see twenty tracks and you're like, mm, No, I don't know about this. Oh, I mean, all the
2: time, right? I mean, like every <laughs> every like new release Friday, right? I mean, like you know, my whole thing is like, you, you know, I look I look at it kind of like this, right? So if you if you look at a sports example, right? It's, it's like you know you'll have a, a dude that's hitting you know 200 with uh, you know 28 home runs and like you know 70 RBIs. So I mean, the whole thing about that is you know he's just gonna keep swinging, right? And eventually he's gonna he's gonna hit something, right? It doesn't mean that he's having a good season, right? So I, I liken the albums you know kind of that way, right. I mean there's there's probably good to be found on the majority of albums that drop, but it doesn't make it a good, um you know project and then i guess the question becomes you know around that is like are albums themselves like even relevant uh you know anymore and my argument there is like they are and i'll tell you when we're going to see that next and it's not a hip-hop example but you know when adele drops you know in in a few weeks i mean she's probably going to do like like crazy like insane Uh, numbers. And I heard that she's even demanding that everything's like available, like on physical form too, because she's going to be able to move those units. But the reality is people are still going to be listening to that three years from now. Right. And I would argue that the percentage of albums that you're going to go back to that drop this year in the next three or four years is is just like so small, right? Like, I don't even know, like, is it 5% of the albums that drop this year you're going to go back to in three or four years? I mean, that seems actually roughly the right amount to me.
0: I don't think it's that high. Actually, yeah, I, I mean, I know. You might be like, right. As you think you know? about like, especially yeah. like, this year especially, kind of like last year, got off to a very slow start. But yeah. there haven't been, even between Dex and I, like, I would say between this year, it's definitely lower than last year and the year before in terms of I how many that. albums we're recommending yeah. to each other. Oh, yeah. Yo, yeah. check this out. I, I recommend him, like, AJ Tracy recently. He's yeah. recommended me. Dave, both UK yeah. artists, but yeah, like dope. there yeah. was a lot more of that. I would say in 2019 and prior. And this brings me to something that you mentioned in your story. This was a quote from Brian Sissouk. I hope yep. I'm saying that name right, right? Yeah, Z uh, from Audio found, Mac. Yeah, yeah, Z from Audio Mac, basically. And he said, "I think we could eventually start seeing more singles deals and contracts structured mm-hmm. around what makes sense in today's marketplace." Uh, Many of these artists finding fame through TikTok or social media don't necessarily have an album, let alone multiple albums in them. So I'm wondering, like, is that a trend we're going to start seeing? And are guys and girls, are artists just going to not make as
2: many albums as they used to? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it I think it depends on who's still recording. Right. Like, Like I don't think, you know, I don't think the. You know the 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 Kendricks of the world, the the Nas, no, 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 the Js, no, 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 no. You know, they're you don't know always I mean? make yeah. Like, they're always right. gonna make albums, but, but I like, think for upstart just people artists, breaking
0: in, yeah, upstart artists.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it just goes back. I mean, I've written about this a few times. I mean, I think the whole like there's gonna be a whole evolution of what it means to be a recording artist, right? And I think what I mean by that is like, you know, this idea of that. Um, the music industry is a path to, you know, uh, you know, riches and, you know, all the fortune you can ever have, I think will really change. Right. And I think that there's going to be pockets of money to be made, but they are probably going to be in the structure of like singles deals, um, like, uh, you know, uh, a low risk, uh, you know, low risk deals for the labels, because yeah, I mean, to invest in an artist and have them create a full project, I think Z's right is like, the capability to do that uh, today, you know, of of the, the current artist makeup, not considering the the, the kind of legends in the game, is is probably not there, right? I mean, um, so yeah, absolutely, I think that's going to happen. I think the other thing is, you know, music needs to figure out another channel for discovery other than TikTok too, right? Because ultimately, it seems like whatever it seems like what always happens, right, is that whatever the new thing is. The music bid just kind of puts all their eggs in the basket, right? So, like, you know, when there was down, when there was downloads, right? When people were buying MP3 downloads, that's what it was, right? Like everything went to that. That that was it, right? Like we're going, to, and then streaming came. So it's just, it's all streaming, and now TikTok, right? So every, I mean, like, how many songs have you discovered off of TikTok? I know I've discovered, you know, tons, you know, off of there, right? And and it's great but um it's again it's following the same path you know the business has always followed as it just goes to whatever the next tech or whatever the next thing is without actually innovating um you know because if you get down to the nuts and bolts of it the music business itself has not really innovated mm. ever really right Made, yeah. uh, with the exception of jumping from you know cassettes to cds right um You know, so all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's reaction. All of that evolution is coming from tech, right? So I think to to the question, it's like, yeah, it is probably going to, you know, go that way. um, Unless the labels want to invest in creating lifelong artists, but they don't want to do that anymore, right? Like, that's what happened back in the day, right? Like A&R, like the A&R department was actually about going out and finding like undiscovered talent and developing them. Over the course of a career, now it's really about looking at data and uh, and using algorithms to determine what the lowest risk investment is and how quickly you can get, turn a profit on um, on the signing. Which I get it, right? Like it's a business, but I'm I'm saying if you're talking about a long term strategy, I mean that isn't it? I don't think.
0: Oh man, Dex, I'm getting triggered because I'm sensing like <laughs> the parallels between this and like our industry in terms media. of like yeah. the, the lack of the lack of investing in people. The the sort of shorter term deals and you know all this shit like oh my god I'm it's, telling it's, you all these things are connected everything they're,
1: is. they're all connected Adam because you explained yeah. this in your piece and I wanted you to explain it to to listeners so mm. for us because you and I we're, we're a little older and Brian Brian's, Brian's younger uh-huh. we we, we, know, we know, <laughs> I wish man I wish <laughs> we know that we know what it was like to purchase physical CDs yep. for rap for rap albums I and, do. too. I you just... do too. <laughs> you did too. You just transitioned you know, a, yeah, a little yeah, bit you know? earlier into that. And this isn't really about the physical, but what I'm asking but could you talk a little bit about what the impact streaming has had on the length of albums that we have seen? Because you talked a little about it earlier and how a lot of the albums, whether it was mid 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, had a certain length. And now with streaming, the length of these albums are, are different that we're seeing. Yeah. So, could you just talk about the impact of streaming on hip hop album lengths?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what Mac, uh, shout out to Mac Main, you know, said in the uh, article, which was, you know, when Wayne was releasing the last Carter album, he hadn't actually released an album in sort of the peak of the, you know, the peak of the streaming era, right? And and basically the advice people were giving to Mac Main is you've got to load up the project, you know, with as many songs as possible to essentially, you know, boost, uh, you know, boost streaming, right? So, you know, here's someone that, you know, you know, someone, you know, super talented, been around the industry for many, many years and was coming into this, you know, spot where, you know, the advice was essentially just, it, it, it obviously Mac and Wayne had a lens to quality, but but sort of the advice coming from the the business side, I guess, was, you know, you got to pump as many songs as you can onto the project to, to essentially boost streaming. So I think that didn't happen back in the day, right? Because artists would be paid, you know, I, I think the example, um that I gave in the article was Jay with Blueprint, right? Is is Jay didn't want to put more songs on Blueprint because he wasn't getting paid beyond the certain, uh, you know, uh, songs that he was uh, obligated to provide in the in the recording contract, right? So that's how it used to work, is right? You have to you know, you have to deliver, you know, 12 or 13 songs for this project or 14 songs. You're not getting paid for any more songs beyond that. You can throw a couple on there, but ultimately it's just a label that's going to, you know, probably benefit in the end. So back then there wasn't this pressure to like load up the project because it was a CD sale, you know, that mattered rather than a collective of streams that equated to an album sale that equated to, you know, it's, it's all like, you know, the, 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 the equation has gotten more complicated, you know, now, and, and, and one part of that equation is, you know, if, if you're an artist that's not confident in your ability to, you know, drive a lot of streams off a certain amount of tracks, if you put 24 songs on a project, I mean, you know, I mean, you, and, you know, we could probably drop an album and have one song that people would like, right? Or two songs that people would like. It's just like, you gotta throw some stuff on the wall and see what sticks, and then hopefully something sticks enough you can generate a certain amount of streams but this whole like this whole approach now obviously deprioritizes quality significantly because it's just not really about it isn't it isn't right about quality obviously the quality side of it is if you put out 20 great songs people are likely going to stream it a lot longer i mean we see the example with you know clb right now is that um you know it's still like you know hanging around on the top of the charts and overall it's a pretty good project right it's a little long but there's quality there same with same with donda right there's quality there but you're talking about two artists that you know are able to produce quality music and it's just like it's very easy to see that um you know a lot of these artists that are getting signed off of you know tick and and getting signed off of you know viral singles and stuff like that do not have the you know unfortunately don't have the talent to create like long cohesive projects and and a large number of quality tracks. So, you know, I think that's where, you know, it's kind of skewing
1: things right now. So with that being said, you know, I have this feeling that we don't get as many, I I think people like to romanticize the nineties to some degree. Right. And be like, oh, you know, golden era. Everybody was dropping classics, which let's be real. It wasn't true. Everybody was not doing that. Right. That that's not true at all whatsoever. But, to your point, there did seem to be a more emphasis on quality, whether it was on the A&R side in terms of developing artists and artists who actually wanted to put together great cohesive albums. So I'm curious as to what you think, Adam. Do you think that we are seeing less classic or near classic hip hop albums created than we have before? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, like there's there's none, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, like I mean, I'll
2: give an example, right? I mean, I love, uh, you know, I love Griselda, you know, I love Benny the Butcher, and but I mean, the the volume, you know, of material coming out there is just like astronomical, right? And if you look back to like a, an example from like the '90s, would be Wu Tang, right? But the thing with Wu Tang was like when the group projects drop, like Enter 36 or Wu Tang Forever. I mean. they they were quality, right? And then when the solo projects would drop, you know, they were largely quality, right? It wasn't like, you know, Ghost and Ray weren't throwing out like 20 albums, you know, a year or anything like that, right? I mean, there was a lot of woo-related material coming out, but it was was, uh, planful, and it was, you know, well-produced, and you know it was quality and i think the thing now is that people are most concerned about is losing listener attention right which totally makes sense right i think that's what's driving you know a lot of the volume of material coming out like like you know if you drop something you know this week on a friday i mean keeping someone's attention for two more weeks is is really hard right like i mean forgetting just music but you know, you, you have sports, you have all the other entertainment streaming services, you know, you have, you know, you know even like looking at, uh, you know, like kind of COVID as things are opening up again, people are less captive, right? So there's a whole new, you know, realm of things going for people's attention. So it's just like, I think the biggest thing driving this is people are concerned about people forgetting about them, right? And that the thing is back in the day, like, you know, short of, like, uh, No Limit Records, right? Uh, you know, that was probably the best example of streaming. That, back good, that would it, be a
1: good example. You know, like, yeah. back in
2: the day, right? I, <laughs> I used to just, love, I mean, I didn't really, I mean, the music, eh, you know, but, I mean, I love the ads, the pen and pixel ads back in the day, but yeah. uh, I just love opening the CD and seeing, like, 20 albums coming out in the next month or That was, like, <laughs> jokes. But, but, I mean, like, that was probably the best example of, like, the streaming um, flow of material, right? And then if you look outside of that, I mean, artists were kind of on that maybe like every other year cadence, once a year cadence and, you know, features. It was just, it was a little more organic, right? I think the, the biggest thing you'll notice now is like the the feel of all this is not organic anymore, right? E- even the bigger artists, right? Like it feels, it feels a lot less organic, I guess. Yeah. I agree
0: with that. Yeah. I feel, I also feel like there was a formula before that people uh, have sort of since stopped following where, it would be to your point, like an artist will come out with an album the next year. They would mostly hop on other people's stuff and just do features. Right. Then they'll probably drop an album the year after, and they'll just sort of go like Nas was doing that for a while, you know, yeah. uh, for, throughout his career, because he would drop like every other year for a bit. Um, And I'm wondering, like, because of this whole streaming thing, like, I think that we're probably going to see shorter albums come back to some degree. I think we've already have. But like we said, like there's not a lot of middle ground there. But are you are we going to start to see like more of the Vince Staples show, like more 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 Vince Staples albums where it's like ten songs, twenty tracks, uh, and it's like you know two minute songs that they want to obviously you know they not him necessarily, but artists want you to repeat them so that their streaming numbers go up, and it's going to be yeah. a lot more albums of like twenty seven summers, but like twelve times over and over. You know, like, if Nas came out with uh, with 27 Summers over and over, it wouldn't have stood out to me in that same way, and that it all just sort of blends together. So do you think that we're just going to see, you know, shorter albums? Yeah. I mean, I
2: see you got, like, the Five Mike shirt on, right? So, like, yeah. I, I think it depends on, uh, and, uh, you know, and Dexter's got the, the Esco uh, Illmatic shirt on, so, you know, and I got big, you know, big shirt on. I think it depends on, like, you know, I think it depends on the – I think we're talking like there's hip hop and then there's the music industry. Right. And I think like, you know, from a hip hop perspective, I think there's some advantage of like bringing back, you know, the quality into place. And I think the one good thing that we are seeing and it's been sort of creeping up, you know, over the past, you know, call it like five, six years is we're seeing like, you know, lyricism and you know, production and 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 that come back in into play, right? With with the Griseldas and obviously, you know, Kendrick and you know, there's a lot of, you know, other examples of where, you know, that quality aspect is is even even Nas's last album, right? I mean, you know, that was just like kind of like largely like a straight hip hop project, right? Like there wasn't anything that was, in my opinion, that was really like heavily shooting for, um, you know, you know, social media, like TikTok virality or anything like that, right? I mean, um, it was just like a, a good hip hop album. So I think, you know, I think that's the good news is that it seems like we are moving back towards the quality aspect of that. I think when it comes to like, you know, the music biz as a whole, I mean, uh it's it's just a really good question that i'm not sure i have like kind of like the the final answer for i mean i think if we continue to see the trend of like music discovery happening outside of streaming platforms um you know because i think i I can't remember what the the stat that i saw was but there's a huge amount of music discovery happening on on TikTok, right whether that's catalog music or whether it's new you know kind of releases and i um you, you know, I saw I saw someone from Spotify I think had been hired to like head up like you know catalog music at you know TikTok or whatever it was. And it's just like they're realizing that this is how we essentially get people you know to discover music. So if we continue to go that way, I think you know we're probably going to still see like kind of like the bloated um, you know some of the bloated kind of you know projects because ultimately you're just trying to hit on on one thing, but. I think if it really depends on how the music business kind of continues to evolve over these, uh, you know, these coming years, it's, it's a tough one. That's probably the toughest one. You know, um, I hope so, because, um, you know, it'd be nice to like go back and listen to, you know, hip hop albums that came out three years ago, but like, I mean, I can't even, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example there, you know, of a project that dropped three years ago that I'm like jumping back to, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, for me, that's why, like, I brought up the 444 example is, like, that is, like, that is, like, encapsulates, like, you know, what a good quality product is. Because I was playing it the other day. That came out in 2017, right? And yeah. it just so happens it's J. I I mean, not just so happens. I mean, you know, obviously, you're always going to go back to Jay albums. But, like, even, um, you know, even some of Nas's recent stuff, like, I can't say I go back to that album that he dropped um uh you know on good music you know and uh, i mean i go back oh, no, no 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 <laughs> oh, oh, yeah yeah yeah
1: we're not going back to that
2: adam I love that, adam. No, we're not going back to that. <laughs> but i mean but i mean even we're going back to the kings
0: of seas albums well they came out last year and this year but yeah yeah
2: but i mean i'm, I'm more just saying like that that music isn't that old right but you yeah. still go listen to like i'll still go listen to like ready to die like, right. I mean, there's a problem. Like, there's a disconnect here, right? Like, like all, all I'm getting, at, and that doesn't it had nothing to do with the amount of songs on the project, right? It had to do with the quality of the music, and I use that example outside of hip hop, right? Like, I mean, that's the reason why like Adele is going to do crazy numbers because it's timeless music, right? Like, um, you know, it, it, it's why people still go back and listen to like motown and stuff like that right it's just there's something to be said for creating good product because it ultimately extends the life of it and you can drive more it's this whole like fast food thing that the music business become it's it's actually like a recipe for disaster right because it's it's quick hits it's quick return but you are not creating a sustainable business long-term. And this is the exact same thing that happened when we went from physical music sales to downloads and they tried to fight downloads and they tried to fight, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, they're going to find themselves at a certain point again, where something else is going to happen. And all of the eggs have been put in this like kind of quick return basket. And I don't know where that's going to leave things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, look, this is this is kind of like aggregation to sports media now, Dex. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of it, but a lot of it, it, that's what it is. It's like a lot of people are just going for like what's what's now, what's in the moment or whatever. Like to your point about going back to albums, I'm thinking of some of the albums that I went back to just in general recently. And I went back to to Skelter's first album oh, because, yeah. because I saw some Sean Price shit just popped up on my Instagram yep. the other day. And then I just went back to it to hear it. Uh, I went back to Erica Badu's second album. I went back to I'm sure I went back to like Be- beanie's like that. Beanie's
2: like rock you know first two Rockefeller albums. I mean yeah, I, was, I was bumping those the other day, actually. Three's yeah. out freeways you know, yeah. out. But, I mean you could just like it, it's it's kind of wild how the list kind of like just goes on and on and on from you know that call it like kind of the physical format era, right? Um, you know cams like you know rock out like i mean i mean you know purple haze and like like it's just it goes on it's endless but then what happens is once you get over to the streaming era it's not endless it's it's almost no. like it's almost not there like like in a sense right
0: of the of the stuff that i really go back to i would say like 2012 is probably the cutoff because that's where like life is good and good kid mad city came out and that was like a really good year all around there's a bunch of other stuff that came out that year but a lot of the stuff that i would really go back to probably unless it's like recent it's probably not a lot after like 2012
1: i like that mark of 2012 because i feel like that's kind of a place for me too where we kind of saw the shift in the last nine years and i would say there's less stuff in that period that i go back to as more, maybe outside of like the Pimp a Butterfly, I go back to a lot. You talked about 444, yeah. uh, Adam. I think those are albums I really still go back to and listen to in their entirety. I definitely agree with that. And then you brought this up in your in your article. You know, you said that it's unlikely any change in album lengths will happen quickly. I mean, this was a great stat. This was an interesting stat to me. If all the albums that hit number one on the Billboard Top Rap Album charts in 2021, only one, Jay Cole's The Offseason, is less than 40 minutes long. Right, and So it's crazy. It shows you how few people are actually making shorter al- albums. My thing, though, is you talk Vince Stables, you talk J. Cole, you can see there's some success there for those artists. I think we'd all agree if Kendrick, when Kendrick's next project drops, it's probably not going to be a long one. He generally no. doesn't do that. So there are artists who have had success in this. It's intriguing to me why people haven't done more. But before we get you out of here, Adam, wanted to ask you. What are some of your favorite hip-hop albums of all time? Maybe do you, do you have, any, have some recently? We always do an end-of-the-year hip-hop award show. What are some of your favorite hip-hop albums or what are some of your favorite hip-hop albums for 2021?
2: Yeah, man. I, I, can, I can do anything outside of 2021. <laughs> I'll just play it around. Uh, I mean, I love... I, I mean, I think, like... I, mean, I think the Donda album's incredible. I, I mean, for me, like... It's, it's starting to like, I mean, and I hate when you people say, oh, this is the dopest album since whatever when it came out like three weeks ago. But um, for me, it's starting to creep up like the Kanye album list. Like like there is some incredible material on there, which is, which is great to see in, in, in 2021. And then going back in the day, I mean, man, like, you know, Blueprint and, and Reasonable Doubt. And um, I think, um, you know, I think uh, in my lifetime, Volume 1, is like super underrated right in jay's catalog i mean my favorite jay-z song of all times on that album right lucky me um which which i think is one of the the most underrated jay songs and then like you know cams like come home with me like purple haze i mean um you know all all the rock stuff from back in the day i mean um you know uh, i mean i I mean i love you know uh, (laughs) won't get into this discussion now but you know I, i mean i love the slim shady lp um, yeah, you know, I, I love the Marshall Mathers LP. Um, you know, that that's kind of where, you know, it stops. Um, for me, like,
1: <laughs> we, we, we agree with you. We agree with you here. So don't feel bad we, we'll but, uh, uh, extend yeah. it to the Eminem show and then I'm done.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not something you know, it's wild this is a good example, right? Like just when we're talking about like going back to albums and stuff and for whatever reason. You know, I don't go back to that album, you know, as much. But I mean, that's, uh, you know, and then it, like it was written and like, I mean, life after death and like, you know, ready to die. I mean, like I remember, you know, when I was like, 13 or whatever, and I like had that cassette, like it, the cassette was just, you know, after a while, it was just black on both sides. Right. Like yep. all the writing had come off. And like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just it's just wild when you think about like the quality of material that was produced. You know, you know, Nipsey like Victory Lap like is another one that's a little more of recent memory. Mm-hmm. That I think is just I, I think it's about you know as close to like a modern day uh you know classic as we have for so many reasons. Like mm-hmm. just just you know very very like impactful on on so many levels and um you know so uh yeah and I mean yeah current day I mean like uh, like I mentioned the Donda album I mean I love you know zelda and and benny and um but uh but yeah man it's uh, a lot of interesting and interesting things going on you know today music industry as a whole and and, you know hip-hop as a whole so i just hope it gets back to uh you know
1: like a little more quality over over quantity is is kind of what i hope to see i hope so too so i guess what we'll wrap with this adam are changes in the lens of the album is this just all part of hip-hop evolution is this what we should expect Because you've said, you've talked about how hip hop has kind of followed the trends of whatever the industry was, right? Whether it was, Uh you know, streaming, TikTok now. So is this something we could see, you know, fluctuate from time to time just based on whatever the trends are? Hip hop evolves and it always evolves in different forms. So is this just something we should expect?
2: I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I think it's less about like hip hop specifically and more about the music biz. Like I think, you know, we, we potentially see like those... Uh, you know, kind of those ebbs and flows in the in music biz. But I just go back to like, I mean, I think the root of, um, you know, the root of of hip hop is is about, um, you know, saying something. I, 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 that, that's kind of what I feel, right? And I think um, when you when you start getting to, you know, 23 24 tracks and lengths, or these like really long, like almost two hour albums and stuff. I mean, you could be the greatest, like. MC of all time, but I'm not sure anybody like has that much to that that much important stuff, the important stuff to say, or has the ability to create in, um, as impactful and as interesting songs as needed to fill almost two hours of music, right? So I think it's it, I think it's about you know where will the music biz continue to uh, evolve to, and I and I think it's at a bit of a um, interestingly, I think it's at a bit of a crossroads again, like because revenues have recovered. And, and the industry is healthy. But interestingly, the music biz find itself in the same place that it found, it found itself when downloading um, starting to come into play is, the music business has not invented anything innovative, right? It is the tech companies that have created the new uh, music delivery mechanisms. And again, the industry is at the mercy of what happens next, right? With, instead of being the ones to create what happens next. So I think um you know all of this will be dictated where you know where the industry goes but um you know I think you know you know hip hop will continue to evolve into itself and um you know hopefully that evolve that we're seeing is is going back towards like you know more quality uh you know more social commentary you know more you know meaningful uh you know meaningful lyrics and meaningful music.
1: I hope so Adam. I really 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 Dude, that is Adam Aziz freelance writer. Please check out his article on the undefeated, the coming battle over rap album lens. It's really good. It also appreciate has it. a bunch of other good stuff. Adam, we talk a lot of hip hop on this podcast. We'd love for you to come back on anytime because we talk a lot about it through through the year. So we gotta have you back on the Ain't Hard to Sell podcast. We appreciate you, man. That'd be dope, man. I have a lot to say. So happy to come back anytime. Appreciate <laughs> you. Thanks, brother. Take care. Cool, guys, take care. All right, so that's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. Special thank you to our guest, Adam Aziz. Really great time talking with him. Also, so glad we got to talk to you guys about that fight. It was really good. Uh, Brian and I talked about looking forward to that next fight with Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. Definitely looking forward to that one. A lot more to talk about in the world of sports. Remember, go support Brian. And all the digital content that he will be creating for FanDuel. Also, check out the first episode, season four of the Sports Walk. More to come. A lot more good content to come. NBA season starts next week, baby. Yes. I'm ready to go. A lot to talk about regarding that. But for episode 196, you can see how much more excited Brian will be at the next episode. when We're at 197. His excitement level should go to the roof. We'll see that. For Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.